Well, hello out there. <laughs> I appreciate you listening and tuning in to the Bandwitch Tapes. Uh, my name is Brad Williams, and this is the first episode. I'm pretty excited about it. Slightly terrified, but also very excited about it. The idea of this has been a long time coming, and I'm finally getting around to doing it. So, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to have a listen. Um, the way this is all going to work is that I'm going to spend some time interviewing and having some conversation with some of my dearest friends who happen to be my musical heroes. And uh, we're just going to sit and talk about their journey in life, how it all started for them uh, as a human and then as a musician. And uh, we'll also find uh, we'll find some way to talk about how our lives intersected with each other and some cool stuff we've done along the way. And uh, I just hope you have a good time listening. Uh, as I'm recording this, it's a cold and rainy day uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, feels like winter, which is A-OK for me. Um, we just finished Thanksgiving last week, and uh, my mom is in town visiting. We have had a great time with her. Skylar came up from LSU, and it was just so much fun for all of us to spend some time together. We spent a lot of time together laughing having way too much food, uh, watching some movies, and just uh, just spending a lot of time together. It was so much fun. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday as well. So as I kick off this uh, first episode, it's my pleasure to interview my buddy, Mr. Mark Mundy. Mark is one of my dearest best friends in the world, and I love him to death. And he also happens to be one of the best musicians I've ever worked with. He's an incredible guitar player, a great singer, uh, producer, engineer. Uh, we met years ago and uh, played a lot of gigs together, uh, mostly uh, in the band Across the Wide that I was fortunate enough to be in with him uh, when we lived in Atlanta. Mark also owns and operates Flossy Monk Studios out of his home. It's a great sounding studio with an amazing vibe, and it's just so easy to be creative in there. Um, we recorded we recorded two Across the Wide albums in his studio and uh, have done a lot of other projects for other people. So make sure you check out Flossy Monk Studios and all the great things that are coming out of it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my pal, Mr. Mark Mundy. Hello, Mark Mundy. Hello. How are you? <laughs> this is awesome. Looking forward to uh, having some time talking about you and music and all that fun stuff about all the crazy gigs we've played together over the years. So we've done a few. We've. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was just wanting to kind of <clears throat> just kind of find out where all this started for you. Were you born in, in Georgia? Yeah, I was born. I, I still live in the town I was born in, Cumming, Georgia. I've Still have a lot of family around here, uh, dating all the way back to, of course, you know, a lot of them are gone now, but, you know, back to the 1800s uh, that I know of, uh, we all came from right around here. Yeah. Yeah. My, you know, I'm, I'm similar story. My family's from down the road in Alpharetta. That's where most of my mom's families from. And so, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Um, I like, I like having, you know, I like having, everybody close by for the most part i think when i was younger you know i wanted to sow some wild oats and move away and do different things but 
you know, this is where, this is what I know. This is where my family is. So it's, it's home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's it. (laughs) Well, uh, so you have a brother, Matt, Mm -hmm. uh, is Matt older or younger than you? He's older than me by just over a couple of years. Okay. And y'all are, as far as I'm concerned, y'all are like music royalty in coming Georgia, you and your (laughs) brother and your mom and, um, to, you know, tell tell everybody who your mom is and what all she's done. Well, my mother is uh, Frances Mooney now. Uh, of course, you know, she's remarried. And uh, she uh, started playing music probably when she was, you know, maybe a teenager around. She was born. It's probably in the, in the mid to late 60s. She started playing guitar and then eventually picked up bass and has been playing uh, bluegrass ever since. Uh, had several different iterations of bands and still plays with some of the people she started with. And uh, My brother and I have been in her band for a while and are different times throughout the years. Uh, playing bluegrass and doing festivals and stuff like that. And she's, she's gotten, you know, I think she probably would have done more with it uh, if she was just a single person out in the world, you know, or whatever. But she, she was definitely a, a, a present mother. You know, she, uh, she avoided a lot of travel uh, to raise me and my brother and have more of a f- stable family life, which we certainly appreciate. But, but she did gain some traction and uh, has done a lot of projects, uh, including the Daughters of Bluegrass, which has won some international bluegrass music awards. Um, then her mom and her dad, my grandma and grandpa on her side, they both played music. And uh, that's sort of where the music came from, was my grandmother's uh, father. My great-grandfather was a fiddle player and fiddle maker. Uh, he repaired instruments for a lot of people in this area back, you know, like I said, dating back to the turn of the century, so uh, last century. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, it goes, that's about as far back as I know that it goes, is he was, you know, kind of a... Uh, uh, just a local musician and and uh, luthier for other musicians. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sure that your situation was a lot like mine, and that you know, growing up, every time people got together, there was music. You oh, know, yeah, people sat around and played music, and and not until I was around other families, I didn't know that that wasn't just what everybody did. Yeah, but I th- <laughs> that's what our families did. I know that's what yours yeah. did. You know, you yeah. Know, Everybody would have a meal, would hang out, and then guitars would come out, and everybody would sit around and play and sing songs together until we didn't the do charades. No, no, there were no. We didn't do charades or, or scavenger hunts. We right. played. Uh, we played music. I'm convinced that those games are built for families that don't know how to play music. <laughs> it must be. It must be. <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, and then your you had your brother plays mm-hmm. uh, i think I, I knew about i think I, I had heard about matt years ago uh before i knew i had ever met you you know because mm-hmm. because matt, matt he's had quite a good career as a musician yeah yeah definitely he uh, he started playing maybe well 
probably in conjunction with our age, he started playing a couple of years before I did. And he started playing the fiddle. And that's a pretty tough instrument, as we all mm-hmm. who have ever tried know. But he quickly, you know, figured out that the mandolin was tuned the same way and he could use some of the same shapes and play that. So uh, and that's where, you know, obviously where his uh, his ability took off was was playing the mandolin and, uh, you know, studying the greats, Bill Monroe and, you know, the more newer or at that time, newer sort of uh, jazzier players like Sam Bush and David Grisman and stuff like that, and he um, he just got really good really fast. And he was playing um, he was playing mandolin in bands uh, at festivals and and different places. By the time he was fifteen, maybe fifteen, sixteen wow. years old, and then in the nineties, he uh, we we were playing in a, a sort of an acoustic instrumental band with uh uh friends of ours scott vestal and jeff altry and we went and had the opportunity to open up at the point in little five points which is no longer there i think it's a a blue jean store or something (laughs) now for the kids but it's uh it was a cool little local spot small maybe held 200 people packed in there but uh, they would play there. They had like a residency Monday. Okay. Mondays or Tuesdays or something like that. And they had us open up for them one night. Um, and Matt met uh, Bruce Hampton and the Aquarium Rescue Unit. And that's where he took off with wow. them. So that, that sort of opened the doors for him to, to do a lot of things. I don't think he would have done just playing local festivals and stuff. That, that certainly yeah. opened it up. Did Bruce guess your birthday? Uh, I think he he definitely guessed my uh, he definitely guessed <laughs> my uh, my sign. I'm not sure if yeah. he got the day just right. Maybe within a couple of tries. You know, thanks to the world of uh, that we are in now on the internet with YouTube, and you can go and find some of those videos of of ARU with Matt playing with mm-hmm. Jim Jimmy Herring and Jeff oh, yeah. O'Teal. It's just. It's just an. It's like another world of of playing when they with the, those guys were together. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, it. it I mean, I just re, I can remember. I remember that first night, you know, uh, seeing them and just being like, "What is? What even is this? Is yeah. this real life?" Because, it, yeah. and, and this was this was before Jimmy Herring was with them. This was with uh, Jeff Sipe on drums. Bruce, of course, a guy named Charlie Williams playing guitar. Great, great guitar player. Uh, more jazz oriented, uh, you know, uh, clean guitar tone. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and O'Teal, of course, Matt, and then uh, the Larry Jones, the counting boots yes. playing percussion. So it was like six people on this small stage in the middle of little five points and 200 people just packed in there. And like I said, we got to open up and they asked Matt to sit in with them because they really were enamored with that instrument, you know? And so he did. And yeah, he was, he was playing with them full time within a couple of months. That's crazy. I think the first time I ever heard of Matt's name was reading the liner notes on the uh, first tales of, Tales from the Acoustic Planet album, yeah, that Bill yeah. Fleck record, yeah, and that that's a door that you know certainly got open because we also 
Uh, I'm not sure. It's been so, I mean, think about it, that was like 1991. <laughs> so yeah, I know. It's been a while. Um, but it, it seems like we either went and saw or maybe we were the opening act of that same group of guys for uh, for the New Grass Revival oh, at, wow. at the point. I, I do remember seeing them there, but I don't remember if we were the sporting act that night or not, or maybe we just went there, you know, but I, did, I had never been to the point, had no idea that was even a place before that night with Bruce and them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's when we went there. So it, it it's kind of funny, like both of those things, and then they they both came came to pass in Matt's life as far as yeah. I and I, play with Bailey yeah, as well. I would be remiss if I didn't get ask you to share the story of you guys going to see Chris Thiele and you guys going about Matt. You guys going backstage and and, yeah. and meeting Chris. That's just a such a cool story. <laughs> Yeah, we went uh, to Smith's Old Bar, another local uh, music bar there in Atlanta, and uh, went with my wife, Terry, uh, her sister, Tina, and my brother, Matt. And we went down there, and this is, you know, this is many, many years later, just a few years ago, and we went... Uh, to see Chris Thiele and Michael Daves. They had like a duo album. It was an amazing show. One microphone and two monsters standing around it, just mm-hmm. just wearing it out. Anyway, so uh, my wife had uh, a few glasses of wine and was feeling <laughs> feeling uh, adventurous, and she, <laughs> she slipped a note to the guy who was sort of guarding the backstage. She slipped a note to him. That just simply said, uh, Matt Mundy was here and would like to meet you. And my brother had nothing to do with it. I didn't know she had done it. So anyway, I guess he, you know, he told her he'd get it to him. And he he did because they came back out there and said, you four can come with us. And we went backstage and and uh, met with him. Of course, uh, anybody that knows Chris or has followed his career knows that he uh, – used his i forget was it, it some prize that he won uh where the the purse was like five hundred thousand dollars well he used that money to buy lloyd lore gibson mandolin wow and uh matt knew about that and of course matt's like oh yeah it's nice to meet you but tell me more about that mandolin <laughs> you know so, so they, uh, they got to talking about it and he just picked it up and handed it to matt and let matt matt hit a few chords on it and it was just uh it was real cool to see uh the the influence that Matt had had on him as a younger player, you know, sure. of course, you know, he's he's pretty much the top of the mandolin heap these days, and uh, and he basically told Matt that his work on Bela's Tales from the Acoustic Planet album sort of changed his uh, outlook on what was possible on wow. the mandolin. You know, as you know, just going from you know coming from a traditional background, yeah. Playing, well, and that's that. That's really it. You know, it, you you talked about Sam Bush having that influence on Matt, and then Matt mm-hmm. goes and does the same thing for, yeah. for Chris, and who knows how many other people. You know, yeah, yeah that's crazy. I just remember hearing like when we were younger, you see a band like David Grisman Quartet Quintet or the albums he did with Tony Rice and all those other players, 
and there was a, a group of guys, a two two guys that were on every album, Daryl, Anger, and uh, I forget the other guy's name. Um, but it, th- these two guys, and they be like, you know, look at the liner notes, it would be David Grissom and Mandolin. Uh, this guy Mandola, this guy the octave mandolin, and they would be doing these trios. In it, it's like you know you see those guys, and and they're not super famous guys, but what they were doing was amazing. And then I'm sure you know, it, you know, like Matt is not super famous, say in Arizona or New York or somewhere like that, but he. Uh, what he did, people that paid attention to right. the stuff that the bigger guys were putting out can see these names that aren't necessarily uh, household names, but they certainly can have an influence on yeah, the way absolutely. you take your instruments. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when you were saying that, I was remembering the fact that I think one of the things that I miss with technology is having that opportunity to read those liner notes and just kind of oh, yeah. look at the the web of all these players that played on this album and then this album and mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's it's amazing Mike how, Marshall was Mike the other Marshall guys. yes yeah. oh man yeah absolutely great Wouldn't, player I'm sure he'll hear this and just yeah his feelings hurt apologies Apologies to him. So, <laughs> name that. Name the the episode that. Apologies to Mike Marshall. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Golden Eagle winner, Mike Marshall. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's go back. So, how old were you when you started playing? I, I mean, it, it sort of just happened naturally. It was yeah. always around, but I would say somewhere between five and eight, I started just picking and picking up an instrument here and there and just kind of messing around with it. And I was left-handed for the most part, but there were no left-handed instruments. So, you know, I was, I struggled with that for a while, but you know, mom always had musicians over to the house, you know, she always had a band, even though they may not be traveling the country or, you know, working full time. She always had a band. And even to this day, you know, like weekly practices are a common thing with her. Even if I think her banjo player drives two hours to come here and rehearse. Wow. On Wednesday night. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So it's, you know, just finding people like that who really love and enjoy making music enough, to you know, put some effort into it. But uh, she, you know, there were always people around, you know, like if, if, if you called them in the right mood, of course, you know, you were just a little little shit running around, you know, <laughs> maybe, you know, annoying them for the most part. But, you know, every once in a while you catch them in a good mood and they show you a chord or, or teach you a little something. And that that's how it started with me. But I would say uh, around 19... Uh, maybe 1979 or early 80. Yeah. Uh, is when I started getting my own instruments. So maybe around eight yeah. or nine years old. Was it, was it always at that point? Was it, were you kind of, it was bluegrass flat picking? Was that kind of the direction yeah. you were? Yeah, I mean, my mom, that my mom, my mom definitely had, uh, she, she loved country music. I mean, mm-hmm. I, just some off the top of my head. I remember Gatlin Brothers albums. I remember Earl Thomas Conley albums. Uh, I remember uh, the 
urban cowboy soundtrack mm-hmm. and things like that. But yeah, it was as far as the music that I had the op- opportunity to learn how to play from other people, it was bluegrass. Yeah. Later on, you know, when I was able to learn things on my own and use, you know, as people say, learn by ear, then whatever records were available or things that I could hear on the radio and sure. capture on a cassette tape or something. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, the equal parts Tony Rice and Eddie Van Halen at some point in your life, you know, I mean, that, that, that would probably be where I would like to hear my, <laughs> I would like, I'd like for people to say, you know what he sounds like? Yeah. I don't know that they do, but that would be something I would want to hear for sure. <laughs> well, I, and I, I, I say that because I think I do hear that. I mean, you can, it's great to hear someone that plays well that you can hear them being themselves, but you can hear little pieces that they've taken from yeah. everyone that they've studied over the years. And, you yeah, know, I've, I've, I'm under no illusion that, yeah, that I'm a sum of all the things I've listened to, things that have moved me through the years. Sure. I, um, I hear some people say, you know, I, don't, I try not to sound like anybody else. Well, you know, you're yeah. going to, and you're going to. I mean, you don't just sit in a, a, a white room with a guitar and learn how to play. You got to hear it from somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. What's yeah, that? That old saying that bad composers borrow and great composers steal. I mean, that's yeah. that's really it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's okay to 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 rip something off. I mean, ultimately, yeah, it's it's going to become your sound. And you well, know. you know, the bare naked lady said it best. It's all been done. <laughs> that's it. It's all been you, done. You know, I feel like every five minutes we have a new title for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So you went to, where'd you go to elementary school in Forsyth County? I went, uh, well, my mother, uh, we moved a few times. Um, mm-hmm. I started elementary school at Sawney, which okay. I live maybe a mile and a quarter from right now. Um, the Sawney Elementary School, mm-hmm. which is at the foot of Sawney Mountain, which yeah. we call a mountain here in Cumming. Uh, and then I spent a year or two at Canton Elementary. Yep. Also, my that was third, actually. My third grade, uh, I went to Cumming Elementary. Okay. So, and I like to think of all these school changes as just new opportunities. That's the, that's I mean, really what it is. I'm still I'm still uh, as you know I've still got the same friends I had in high school, and a lot of those are uh, a lot of those are from different schools that I went to. Yeah, so no, it's- lucky. Luckily, back then when I went to high school here, all all the middle schools and elementary schools and every school in Forsyth County came together at one high school. So everybody that I had met, you know, around here through the years, they all came back together there. So, and I know at some point we'll talk about your work over many years with Jody, but um, I wanted to talk through high school and, Mm -hmm. and then maybe talk a bit, a little bit after you were in high school. What were you playing? And were you playing a lot in bands at that point? Did you start doing stuff? Well, uh, in high school, I you know I could I couldn't tell you about that without mentioning Jody because we met in junior high school, and I would say that's the first 
I had another friend. Shannon, you are you familiar with Bobby Carmichael? I think that name sounds familiar. Yeah, Bobby's a songwriter. Uh, he spent most of his adult years in in Nashville as a, a, a part of probably. I mean, just guessing, probably a few different troops of writers, uh, and then commuted back and forth from here to there. His son Shannon and I uh, knew each other well because Bobby and my mother were friends, musician friends, and. Uh, uh, Shannon and I, you know, we we learned some Boston intros, some Leonard Skinner intros and things like that because uh, we both, you know, had an interest in playing guitar. And that's what you did. You know, you learned some Leonard Skinner. And then uh, so that was my first uh that was my first experiences outside of bluegrass and acoustic guitar was learning that kind of stuff. And then when uh, my mom married my stepdad, Ron, uh, we moved, I moved from this side of town to the North side of town and went to North Forsyth junior high school. And that's where I met Jody. And, okay. and we figured out pretty quickly that we were both musicians with musician parents and uh, we would get together, him playing keyboard, me playing guitar. And um, it was just little things like that. I didn't, I don't think I ever made any money playing music until, you know, like maybe 17, 18 yeah. years old, somewhere now. Okay. So after high school, you went in the Army. Mm hmm. Right? Yes. Yes. Well, happy Veterans Day, by the way. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I don't really feel like a hero, but I guess I am. Well, one. you are to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just sort of tying it all together in high school. Uh, joining the army was after Matt had Matt was still playing with Bruce Hampton when I joined the army, that was in 1990. Um, and so 1988, 89, I was already playing out in some bars, uh, even as a young man, you know, if you, if you work there, you could be younger. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it was kind of cool coming to school Monday morning with an extra hundred bucks, you know, just, <laughs> sure. <laughs> especially if it was pizza day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I joined the Army. Uh, I wouldn't say out of any other reason than I really didn't feel like I was living up to my potential around here. Music hadn't really, even though I loved playing guitar and I wanted to, certainly never wanted to stop doing that. I didn't look at it as a possible career at the point at that time. And uh, I'd I had a couple of buddies that were in the army and this is during desert storm, uh, George Bush senior. And, uh, during, you know, just to give you an idea of when that was. And so I felt like, you know, I could join the army. I would have a job. Uh, I feel like I was doing something, you know, as opposed sure. to just sitting around and, uh, you know, I didn't stay in long. I think I stayed in three years of a four-year commitment. Um, and uh, it really, it opened my eyes a bit to 
I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. Sure. No, that. So, you know, and I was, I, I had a guitar when I was in Louisiana at my permanent duty station. I had a guitar with me and an amp in the room and I would play for all the buddies and stuff. And even the, the first sergeant was a, a really tall, a commanding, uh, personality, uh, funny, uh, he's a black man. He really reminded me of, uh, of Morgan Freeman and the way he talked. He was from Georgia. So we had that in common, but you know, he was definitely, he was all military. Like he, <laughs> we weren't friends, yeah. but he did, you know, he, he knew that I could play and he even came by and requested some songs and, uh, we got to talking and one day he just told me, he's like, he's like, this sounds like what you want to be doing with your life. He's like, you know, you have an amazing opportunity right now because the war's over. We got no money. They're taking all the training away. He said, you can be out of here in two weeks if you want to be. And I, I really felt like that was uh, the right thing to do. You yeah. know, I didn't feel like I was making any, uh, I wasn't really helping out there much and i didn't want to do that the rest of my life uh, and there was a lot of people that did and some of those guys especially with facebook i've come in touch with lately really? and they're retired you know with full benefits and everything <laughs> at, at 50 years old so but uh yeah that was the end of that that was around 93 i think okay uh so and that's you, when i got out of the army so you got out of the army and then you moved back to georgia i did i and moved in with back in with my mom and stepdad mm-hmm. here in uh here in coming uh, and just seemed like music just sort of took over that was yeah. the you know you think about think about where we were uh in popular culture at the time that was the the, the down in the grunge the early nineties, uh, rock music, Soundgarden, uh, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, that whole, that, that yeah. whole group of, of bands just exploded. And I really felt like, you know, coming out of the eighties, you know, growing up and coming of age in the eighties and the excess and the makeup and the big hair. And I mean, I still love some of that music. There's no doubt. I'll, I'll never get over some of the songs that I, I was a big fan of at those, that time. But when grunge came along, it sort of brought this edge with it of uh, authenticity. It yeah. felt like, you know, it wasn't about selling records anymore, although they sold plenty. I'm sure they're all doing fine. Doing just fine. But yeah, it feels like that, that entire just crossroad and it was a reaction of everything that had just been happening before yeah. it, whether it be yeah 80s the hair metal or the boy bands that were there and yeah, yeah it all just feels like a reaction to to what was going on before it so i, t- I tried my hand at it uh doing some rocks rock songs and i had a few bands uh nothing of note but you know worked with uh a lot of people, like, like I said, I'm still friends with, and we we tried our hand at some grunge or or hard rock, whatever yeah. you want to call it. But really, when it all boiled down, it was just more about just being being who you were, you know, not 
not trying, not putting on a face or, you know, literally with the hair bands and stuff, not putting on, you know, a costume to make your music, just write songs and play them. Yeah. That, no, that's, that's it. I, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to think of a way to describe the way the music scene is now. And I feel like it's a little bit of both of those now that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you- I think, I think where we're at, you know, I, it may have been a may have been a comedian and may have been somebody talking about like if you if you look at a uh, if you look at a sitcom in the 80s, mm-hmm. you can tell that it was made in the 80s. If you look at a sitcom from the 50s or 60s or, you know, uh, if you look at uh, as long as it wasn't a period piece, you can sort of tell by the hairstyles, by the way they dress when it is but if you look at something from the last 10 years you know it could have been made yesterday or 10 years ago or or 15 years you know it's like that everybody is just being yourself and doing what you want uh with your your art or whatever is that it's more popular than ever just to be who you are and yeah it's okay well Um, i and i remember i mean you were we were having this conversation uh sometime not too long ago, I think when we were in Bristol, that the easy commentary is to say that there's no good music anymore. <clears throat> and, and that is just, that's just not true. You just have, you no. just may have to look harder for it, but it's the, yeah. great music is still being made and people are being artistic and there's great songwriting. There's great playing. I would say that the production now is, with people like Dave Cobb production is as good as it's ever been. You just have to seek it out. You just have to look for it. Yeah. Quit being, yeah. Quit expecting them to hand it to you. You, Yeah. You turn on. And, and I think just like with, uh, you know, a home telephone or, or, uh, other antiquated things like that. I think, uh, popular radio is going that way too i mean i don't most of the people that i know that listen to am fm radio anymore are listening to talk radio channels right or you know if they're if they're lucky enough to have a a public station nearby that they can listen to to get their news or even some classical music or you know something like we have here the georgia state album 88 88, you know you got the opportunity to hear some stuff that you've never heard before but otherwise if you're listening to popular radio you're not going to get real country no you're not going to get real rock and roll but it is out there if you just you know all you have we i think probably why we talked about it in bristol is because we were at the perfect um festival for that that kind of thing you know real uh authentic artists making making music and being yeah. able to recreate it on the stage right in That's front it. of you. Real, <laughs> real music made, made by real people for real yeah. people is what it felt yeah. like. I, yeah. It was just unbelievable experience getting to hear mm-hmm. just all those great players and singers. It was unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. So, so I know you played at some point you played with the urban shake dancers, right? Did you, mm-hmm. how it, long was, it wasn't a very long period of time. Uh, I think maybe a year is all I played with them. Uh, it was, 
I'm trying to put the chronology together, but I think that that was somewhere around 95, 96. Okay. Uh, I, uh, when I, when I got back from the army, like I said, I was just sort of floating around. I'd stay with some friends in Athens, stay with some friends in, uh, Atlanta, I'd stay with my parents. I don't even think I was paying rent anywhere, which I'm sure they loved that, but <laughs> there I was. And uh, so when I got a phone call from Bruce Hampton, you know, and uh, or maybe he had called and left a message at mom's and uh, told me that he needed to talk to me. So I called him back and he said, What uh, I know you play guitar. Would you be interested in playing bass? And I said, sure. And so he said, uh, he said, all good out of Athens was uh, looking for a bass player. So I got in touch with those guys, Corky and Clay, Clay Fuller and uh, their singer Corky and uh, went and met with them. And what it was is they had, they had decided to end their career, uh, end that band's, career they were they were done they they were gonna hang it up and get day jobs or whatever and they had about four or five months worth of gigs left to play and their bass player wasn't interested in doing them so i did that i helped okay. help them out and uh during that that was fun because they played decent sized venues you know i mean and they they were popular everywhere they went. I don't understand why they were giving it up, but I guess, you know, having, having had that same feeling through the years now, you know, it doesn't matter if something's popular or not. Sometimes your heart just sitting there, you know? So, uh, that, that went off without a hitch and we did several shows, including the music farm in, in Charleston, South Carolina. And there our opener, both times we played there was the Urban Shake Dancers. Wow. So I kind of got to know those guys a little bit uh, in passing through that. And when that one of those nights, maybe in, in Charleston, I'm pretty sure one of those nights, the, the guys in All Good said, uh, we're going, we got a surprise. We're going to let Mark play guitar. So I got up and I played a couple of songs with them on guitar and Clay, I think Clay played bass. <clears throat> and when Robert and them with the Urban Shake Nashers, when they lost their guitar player, they remembered that and they got in touch with me and they said, would you, you want to come down and meet everybody and, and possibly, you know, uh, audition. So I went to their rehearsal space and, and auditioned with them and got the gig. Oh, that's crazy. So, and that yeah. we did that allowed me the opportunity to I did my first tour first two times tours of Colorado oh cool uh, which was amazing and uh, I think that's probably the highlight of playing in that band was doing those two tours sure. out there absolutely that's crazy and I and you know and and our great mutual friend Brooke Smith he was mm-hmm. it had to have been around the time he was playing with the grapes. It had to oh, be. Yeah. Now I didn't know him. I think I think my my focus was always on their band leader Ted. Yep, absolutely. Because he had this huge pedal board. I had never <laughs> seen anything like it. I think it even had a nickname, the Mothership. And <laughs> it feels like in my memory, of course, it may be like the first time you see the state capitol or something. It's just 
this huge thing. But in my memory, it's it was like a hundred petals. <laughs> it's just crazy. It just surrounded him. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I didn't I didn't have an opportunity to meet many of those guys. I wish I had known Brooks back then. Yeah, I can't. I didn't know Brooks back then, and I just can't even imagine what Brooks was like back then. I bet it was he was a just younger a lot version of, of that. <laughs> yeah, that with more energy. I don't know if that's possible. Less. Less inhibition. Yeah, man. <laughs> He's one of the funniest people in the world. So let's talk about you play music with Jody. Um, mm-hmm. I ca- I have I always tell everybody that you and Jody are the Lennon and McCartney of coming Georgia. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's what that's what you guys uh, you are to me. I know you guys are that to a lot of people. Just great songwriting, great execution of it. Just it's just. Uh, it's just great. And we'll, we'll talk about some time, you know, our time getting to play all that stuff together. But, um, walk me through that, you know, what you guys were playing when you first started and the iterations of stepsister to <laughs> the internationals to across the wide and, yeah. and beyond. Um, well, like I said earlier, my mother remarried, uh, my stepdad, Ron, and, uh, around 85 I'm just kind of guessing but somewhere around there well the, they may got together I think in 1986 is when I moved when we moved to um, the north end of coming which is where I moved schools I moved from uh, a school middle school called Otwell I was in eighth grade and I moved out to North Forsyth and uh, North Forsyth <clears throat> North Forsyth in general, at that time, and even still, you know, for, uh, in a lot of cases, was more rural, uh, more farms, more, uh, you know, uh, more, hunt, you know, guys that like to go hunting and stuff like that. Um, I was not that at all. I was, uh, I, I had a mullet. I had, I had, was working real hard on my on my mullet um and i had earrings and i moved out there and it was uh rat turd in a sugar bowl i think <laughs> is what my my grandfather told me it was like um anyway so i was very lucky to have been alive at the same time and still alive with a fellow named Wayne Minshew because they first when I first got there uh, in the uh, in the offices talking to the, you know the counselor and the principal and meeting everybody up there 
when I was leaving there to go to my first cut, because I moved there in the middle of the year. It wasn't like the first day of school. Everybody's there. Everybody's nervous. It was just me, you know. Right. So I, I went to the office, and they got on the intercom and called Wayne Minshew to the office. So he came in there, and they had him uh, take me to my classes that day, like sort of be an ambassador uh, <laughs> for me for that school. And he carried my books. And so he and I were quickly, I mean, you've, you've met Wayne. Oh, very easy to get along easy with. Easy to get along with. One of the <laughs> nicest people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. And uh, he uh, he was already and, and had already been friends with Jody since they were little kids. They met very young. And uh, so I, you know, the first day I met Jody, I met uh, another good friend, musician, Mark Millwood, uh, <laughs> and many other people that I, I still remember. And thanks to still living here, I see every once in a while. Yeah. But uh, I met Jody and it wasn't long before, you know, when you first hanging out, you know, like we were just kids and music wasn't the first thing we brought up. It was more, you know, what's on TV or anything and then once we started talking about music it seemed like it was pretty quick that we both learned our parents were involved in music his dad and my mom uh, were both uh, working musicians and uh, so that sort of started us talking about music and then well what do you play I play this what do you play I play that what kind of music you like and it just kept growing from there and uh, probably within you know a couple of months we were visiting each other at each other's houses and uh you know maybe playing a little bit of music or going to the swimming pool and and then it just you know as we grew up it just sort of became a bigger part of our our friendship and relationship yeah. uh didn't start out that way we were just kids being kids getting to know each other but you know it just sort of kept coming up and by the time we were in uh you know, a few years later when we were getting ready to graduate high school, we were playing local bar and restaurants, you know, for four or five hundred bucks a night. Wow. Us two cool. and a couple of other musicians. Isn't that great? Now, all these years later, mm-hmm. that's still what these places pay their bands. How great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Well, so mm-hmm. y- you guys was stepsister for the first band that you want to call it, was, it a band it was it was stepdaughter and no that was just that's one, right stepdaughter. yeah that was one of the uh one of the uh, uh thousand you know you and any other person that's ever tried to start a band or or uh or anything knows the process of of naming a band is uh it's terrible Nobody likes doing it. It just it ends up being joke after joke after joke. I think our first band was uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I know after I got out of the army and came back home, and we started uh, after all good after because Jody and I we we had that little band in high school. And it seems like that band's name was Try Again or something silly. Like I say, you get a list of 10,000 possibilities and you're just like, I'm tired of doing this. Let's just use that one. And that's what we did with that. But uh, (laughs) we we did that for a while and then we went our separate ways. And I uh, 
joined the Army. I got out of the Army. I played with All Good. I played with the Urban Shake Dancers, and then Jody and I got back together, and we started playing music with uh, with some other friends of ours, One a drummer I met in All Good. Uh, he had uh, hooked up with a bass player and other guitar player out of Athens, and they were playing as a trio. And then me and Jody slipped in with them and started playing more, uh, adding to the songs that they had written. Then that bass player quit. My good buddy, Jody's good buddy, Mark Millwood, joined as a bass player. And then we had a band called The Fred Reese, and we released an album Uh and it's more, uh, this is when Mark was working and Mark Millwood was working at or in school at Georgia State for music. So we got to use the Georgia State's state-of-the-art ADAT machines and Yamaha consoles and all that nice. stuff. Uh, yes. At the time, that was, uh, that was the tip of the spear there. But uh, sure. so, and, and during all that, you know, Jody and I, of course, you know, lifelong friends you know we just kept kept getting together uh and writing our own stuff too and that's sort of where uh, a band called the hooplas was born out of that and then uh, the hooplas yeah, turned right. into stepdaughter and then that turned into the internationals and then from the internationals to across the wide you got it so was country music going through all yeah, of these? Or I mean, did it- we, when in the hooplas, I'll use that as an example because that's when we really embraced the idea of being a band that would go and play a mixture of covers and originals and play at bars and restaurants. You couldn't just go into, you know, a bar and a restaurant mm-hmm. and play for three hours and do all original music. You know, so we we had to uh, we we took on some covers and we were doing a lot of rock stuff when we were a little younger. But even doing an Aussie song or uh, or a uh, or uh, a Kiss song, and you know, listen to how I talk. You know, everything that I sing is going to sound country, or at least it's going to sound like a like. <laughs> country does rock you know <laughs> it's not it's just that i am who i am and jody has just as big of a accent as i do he likes to joke when people ask him where he's from he says france but yeah he's, he's got as much of a <laughs> much of a southern accent and draw as i do so it was it was more or less it more us just embracing that and not, and not fighting it you know i mean you yeah you, you've been in the band you've been on both of our albums and there's certain songs on there that are not really country at all uh but yeah. for the most part it, it's just about writing what you feel and what you feel comfortable writing and that, that's the way those songs uh manifested with country yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, there's some of the, I mean, you can really hear all the different influences, all the different things that you guys have picked up along the way in those songs. You know, you'll hear mm-hmm. Buck Owens in it, or you'll hear Graham Parsons, or you'll hear the Rolling Stones in it, or you'll hear that West Coast production of, you know, of... Uh, I mean- 
the wrecking crew, that kind of thing. You hear that in those songs, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's, that's what's, I've always, it's just been so amazing to witness it is just to hear what you guys have collectively brought in your writing. It's, it's, it's pretty fantastic. So I, I really like it. Um, well, I'd be, you know, I, we can't talk about this story without bringing mm-hmm. up our buddy, Darren Shirley, right? Because, uh, without Darren Shirley, we've, you and I, we will, we, I'm going to say that we would still be sitting here having this conversation because we would have, yeah. we would have met somewhere along the way, but thank, thankful to, to my uncle, Darren, your friend, Darren, that, uh, that he yeah. uh, he joined us together, who we lost we, almost uh, almost a year ago. Wow. He le- he left us. Yeah, it's hard yeah, to believe. Yeah, I think so, him. You um, hear so many people in being a musician and and being lucky enough to be the ones on the stage. Uh, I, I say I say that with a grain of salt. You know, sometimes you you'd rather be somewhere else. You know, it's just according to where the gig is or what you're doing. And what's going on in your life but uh being lucky enough to be up there you get a lot of people who think they they they're like i know somebody i know somebody that plays guitar or my cousin's a singer <laughs> yeah how many times I, yeah I, I mean how many times have yeah. you heard that i know how many it, times i've heard something it. about yeah. the way darren said it that it didn't come across as him bragging about himself. He really was genuinely bragging that uh, just that he was, he felt proud that, that you were as good as you were, you know, and he wanted you to know it, but he wasn't going to push it on you. He wasn't going to say, no, you've got to hear that. You got to do it. Watch this, do this. You know, most people are like, check this out. I think me and you, you know, talked about that that night in the parking lot, which we can bring up. But, you know, you get that so many times. Yeah. People want to push something in your face. But he was so uh, – had such humility about, you know, wanting me to hear you, but, you know, not wanting to come across as, as that guy that you see so often in a bar, you know. Yeah. That's it. Well, and, and- – he was the same way with me and you know he's like listen yeah, we did because we y'all work together a, right a, it, uh, an irrigation supply house <laughs> yeah and he's like listen sky work with he's he can play <laughs> he can play and i and and i and it's and i i understand exactly what you're saying because darren wouldn't say that to me yeah unless he believed it and he, you know, he, he would reserve moments right, like that exactly. for when it really mattered. And, and I think he just knew something. And, um, so I think the first time we met, I was playing with mm-hmm. another band and you mm-hmm. were there that night and sat in with yeah, us. And I don't even, I don't even and, know that I knew it was you until, yeah, I, I just, I, really? I knew I knew Jeremy well enough, uh, Jeremy Southern accent. I knew him well enough, uh, and he knew me well enough that he invited me up to play. And where I, I think I grabbed his acoustic guitar, uh, and where I ended up standing was right next to you. And you know him not 
being uh, knowing classic country, you know, as well as as uh, as somebody else, he turned the floor over to you and said, "Well, why don't you sing something and y'all can, mm-hmm. you know, play that?" And then you sang "Working Man Blues." That's the first song we ever played. "Working Man Blues," yeah. And <laughs> I was first standing song by you, played, and I, yeah. I just remember and thinking, I, I think. Darren said he played with Jeremy some. It was, I guess that was, was that him? I think that was him. And yeah, it was just like, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm going up here and I'm going to be playing next to Brad Williams, who was, uh, is Darren's nephew. And I never, I did not put any of that together. Right. It just, I was there, there you were. And I was like, yeah, that's who that is. <laughs> That's it. Well, and and then, and I don't even know if you remember this, but I think it was one Sunday afternoon, Lisa and I were out and we were going to stop by and just have a drink and have a little time with I the two of us. And we stopped by good old days and you and Jody had just finished and uh, you, we talked on your way out and Lisa and I sat down. I was like, yeah. I played with him a few weeks ago and I'd <laughs> yeah. really like to play it with him. <laughs> it wasn't long after that. I think we got together at uh at uh, my mom and stepdad's little music store we had. Me and you and Jody got together and did a few songs. I remember those songs too. Yeah. I think uh, Mama Tried. We was did the Mama Tried did together. We? I think we did uh, the mm-hmm. uh, another Merle Haggard song. I think we did uh, uh, Makeup and Faded Blue Jeans that day. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. Yeah. You know, and it was one of those things, you know, I'll just say this from my, you know, from my point of view, it was like, it was like going back to Mm -hmm. a place of comfort that I agree. That's the way it felt from the first moment. I mean, it was like, what? And I know we've said this before. It just, it, it made having you sing that high part. Cause I mean, I, I would do that too. I would sing the high part and I know that I know the notes I'm supposed to sing, but my voice isn't up there. It doesn't hit those notes comfortably. So mm-hmm. to have you there and me be able to sing that lower part, it was just like, yeah, where has this been? This is great. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, it was like, and I, and I, I thought so many times over the years, like how in the world did it take <laughs> us as long as it did yeah. to run into each well, other? I think things know? happen for a reason. And then after that, you know? I mean, it was just, I definitely had my ups yeah, and downs through the years. It. And, uh, it's just like, no, you know, if we'd have met before, who knows, you know, what, where our brains would have been, could have been a disaster. Yeah, no, I get it. May still be. <laughs> it could have been. That's that. That's it. The, the look, we st- the day's still young, man. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we've we man, we played a lot of gigs with a bunch of different people. We've uh, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's I've learned. A, I, I I would say I've improved a lot as a as a musician ever since Same I've here. gotten to work with you. And I've yeah. also learned, you know, uh, you, you know, not, not to just, you know, just get talking about just what we've done together, but the, I've learned through playing with you that something that I didn't have before, I don't feel like I had before. Uh, I mean, I know I'm, I know I'm good 
I, I mean, I'm not not to sound conceited about it, but I know I'm pretty good. You know, I, I've I've been playing most of my life, but I, the confidence has just never really been there for me as far as like feeling like I can do anything. But you know, very quickly you invited me to play with with different bands that you were with, and I would work myself to death trying to learn these songs or whatever. But really, more than that. Just kind of know the song and then get up there and do it. Just don't worry about it. Just have fun and do it. You're just playing music. Just have fun with it. Don't, you know. That's it. Golly. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you think in your life you've gotten in your own way as a musician? I mean, I know. Good grief. You know, most of the time you get with, with a new band or something and, you know, you get a list of songs and you know i've i've heard all those songs so really i already half the thing half the battles already won i already have have heard the song i know how yeah. the melody goes and that's what people are there to hear not whether you hit you know that's that it. note just right or anything so it's just having that feeling you know <laughs> that it. that that somebody knows the song and they're giving it to you in their own way that's exactly it. Yeah, it's uh yeah, I it's it's about for me, it's just I got mm-hmm. just trust myself in yeah. it in that moment. That's really it. So, yeah, now it's good. You know, and not only have you just are you just an amazing musician, great player, great singer, great songwriter, but now you've got this just thriving mm-hmm. recording studio at your house where We've recorded together and you've recorded some great projects, some award winning mm-hmm. projects for people now. Uh, you know, uh, t- tell me a little bit about how that all started and, and what it's what it's looking well, like these days. Now, you know, just like with with most things in my life, it never was something that I set out to do. It's just something that was always been a little bit. Uh, of a necessity, you know, from uh, learning how to play in junior high and high school, you know, it was, you know, two cassette players, you know, you record yourself on one cassette, then Mm -hmm. play that and then play along with that and record that to a second cassette and then go back and forth and try to add the parts. Then you graduate to a four track recorder. Uh, which essentially is taking a cassette tape and splitting it into four four sections. <laughs> uh, then uh, I think Jody, uh, sometime around 11th or 12th grade, his dad was going to get involved in doing some voiceover work. And uh, to do that, he needed to be able to record stuff at home. So he got a a TAC eight track reel to reel. So then we had eight tracks. And of course you, you know, if you're going to, oh, if you're going to yes. mic a whole drum kit and get a drum beat down there, then you've already used up six tracks of that. So then you got to learn how to, to bounce <laughs> those things down to two tracks. And then it's, it was just, uh, just a constant, mm-hmm. uh, learning, uh, through the years of how to manipulate different things and get things on a sh- what my wife would call on a shoestring. You know, we don't have the money to have everything we want, but we figure out a way to make it work with what we can afford. And yeah. uh, 
Then my mom got, this was probably in uh, somewhere around 2000. Uh, uh, my mom got a 16-track digital recorder, a Roland thing. I think it was a Roland thing. Mm-hmm. I learned how to use that. And then, um, you know, just fast forward a couple more years, I started getting into doing the digital recording. I worked with uh, Johnny Sandlin in the 90s. Uh, with I worked with him, a band I had in Athens called Both Sides. We were lucky enough. Uh, our lead singer had the uh, resources that uh, allowed us to record with Johnny Sandlin at his studio in Huntsville, or Decatur, Alabama, and that was about a oh. two-week process. It was really cool to work with him. Uh, if people don't know who that is, he uh, was the engineer and producer for Live at the Fillmore East with the Allman Brothers and did a lot of Greg Allman solo yeah. stuff. Uh, uh, certainly a lot of accolades, a lot of gold and platinum records hanging around yeah. his studio. Yeah. Just, to, <laughs> just those, those little projects yeah. with those unknown was, artists. Uh, right? He wow. was dealing with ADAT, which he had three ADAT machines, which was 24 tracks. So we did that. And I even, uh, he had the big mixing console and he had, uh, I was, he picked me to help him do our final mixes, like, you know, like timing when to turn the guitar up and how much to turn it up and back down and things like that. So he's on one side, I'm on the other of the console and we're working the the console to, to do these final mixes. That was definitely an eye opener and I'm glad I had that experience because I don't use that, uh, technology here uh with modern technology but it was cool Mm -hmm. to at least have the opportunity to do that once you know but uh yeah getting got into pro tools and stuff around 2014 i think my first project um that went out was called the wiseman brothers it was a four-piece bluegrass band uh then i did my mom's uh one of her albums called heartache hanging around and then i did our album the one and that we we did i did all three of those albums at a different house with no studio just a couple of bedrooms and uh and my my rig and we cut everything as live as we could and then did overdubs and sort of cut my teeth on those three records and then when we moved out of that house we had a windfall of cash uh, from selling the house, and we used a good portion of that to build my studio in the basement. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's you get some great sounds, some great tones in that studio, and it's yeah. just a good vibe in there. I think that I think that plays a big part in it, and it it just it allows everybody to just be in the room and be creative with each other. That, yeah, that was definitely the goal. If I, if I could change one thing about it, it would be to have more room to make that happen. So if you had a six piece band with a three piece horn section that they could do the same thing, that would, that'd be the one thing that I would upgrade if I could. But yeah, as far as a four or five piece band, uh, there's plenty of room, uh, plenty of uh, it's nice and quiet down there and like i say we're far enough away from mm-hmm. 
the hustle and bustle that, you know, it's a, it's good, quiet environment. Yeah. How would you say being a, an engineer and a producer has changed the way you play as, as a live guitar player? Do you, do you approach it differently? Uh, the more probably, you've done that? I don't think that I notice that I'm doing anything in particular, but I do know, know that when I'm working with bands, especially younger bands or, or artists, uh, they'll come in with, with pretty much a finished idea in their head of what they want this song to be, but they're playing every part with their hands. They're playing the bass, they're playing the, the rhythm, they're playing the lead lines, they're, uh, doing everything on a piano or on a guitar or whatever and having the studio and, and doing the albums that I've done, especially growing up in bluegrass where this is, is more uh, present than any other music in the world. If you ask me is that everybody plays a part, you know, if you've got a band, you're doing a full project with a full band, drums, bass, guitars, piano, whatever, Everybody has a place in that, but you have to find that place and stick with it until it's your time to shine. And then, you know, then everybody else is supporting you. So that's something I feel like I've learned and I do better at is, is, or hopefully I'm doing better at is, is knowing when and when not to, to stand out, you know, like find my part. Everybody's a part of. You know, in, in bluegrass, everybody plays the rhythm. Everybody is the rhythm. You know, you got the bass mm-hmm. and the mandolin doing yeah. the bass drum and the snare drum. Banjo and guitar are sort of the cymbals and hi-hats. And if you get that thing going mm-hmm. just right, it's as good as any drum beat out there. You know, you're Absolutely. And I would say that bluegrass, good bluegrass bands – they yeah. know how to mix themselves like they're their own audio engineer on stage where they control the dynamics of themselves and then the band and that, you know, that that's why mm-hmm. they can stand around one microphone and not need somebody to be all, you know, exactly. mixing a bunch of different instruments. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, good, Mark. Well, listen, I, uh, I thank you. We've, we've talked for a long time. I could probably sit here for, two more hours and just listen to you talk about all the cool stuff you've done. Um, but uh, for the folks that uh, will listen to this, how can, uh, how can people go check out what you're doing and, and w- your studio? What's the uh, well, you I have do, a website for I the do studio? And I, don't. I, I have a Facebook page for the studio, just uh, at Flossy Monk studio. And uh, of course, our band across the wide. Uh, I, I, what I would like to do, and I haven't done yet, is to figure out some way where I can have a good playlist. Well, it's pretty easy to do that. I'll make a playlist on Spotify with all the bands that I've had the fortune to work with here. And that way, you know, people are interested to hear, you know, the, the, the difference that I make as an engineer or producer. Uh, maybe that'll stand out there, but uh, but no, I don't have a website. Yeah, for that. Of course, the band does, but unfortunately, I'm in charge of that. So, yes, <laughs> I've been busy. Okay, 
<laughs> yeah, you you got a lot going on, man. You know, yeah, fighting crime and recording records, and it's a lot. Well, Mar, buddy, I love you. I appreciate your time today, and uh, all right, we'll, uh, we'll do this again for me. All right, see you. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for listening to the first episode of the Bandwitch Tapes. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, tell your friends about it, and uh, I hope to see you soon. Bye.